what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello and welcome to Stepping Up Service. This is our customer service podcast here on The Mesh, where we talk about the idea of customer service, some of the trends happening in the world of customer service, what individuals as employees, companies, organizations, how they can take take a hold of the customer service that they're providing their clients or customers, even one another as coworkers. Uh, this is a show we've been doing for a while now. We've got a lot of back episodes, but today's episode, we're going to be talking about something new. Uh, before we get into the topic, though, let me introduce my co-host, Ed Gagnon with Customer Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, Alan? Doing really, really good. I uh, had a long vacation, and we'll refer to that vacation when we get to our customer service stories at the end of the episode, like we always do. But uh, coming off of a vacation, I'm rested, I'm recharged. Uh, We've hit a new year, so it's kind of a a good starting point uh, for a lot of things. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Ed's with Customer Service Solutions. You can learn a little bit more about his company at cssamerica.com. Find out a little bit more about what they're doing to help organizations with the way they provide and measure and evaluate the customer service they're providing to their customers or clients. Uh, and I'm with the Jackson Group. Uh, my name is Alan Jackson. I don't remember call if I introduced myself or not. Uh, with the Jackson Group, we do employee and customer satisfaction surveying for a lot of industries across the nation. You can learn more about us at thejacksongroup.com. Now, Ed, I was mentioning it being a new year, and I've kind of come back from vacation very recharged and refreshed. Something I did before I went on vacation, though, is I kind of did a little bit of a personal assessment of my work habits, of kind of how I'm managing my time, trying to make a lot of adjustments and how I want to try to be as an employee, as a, as a leader, as everything else involved in this new year. That's correct. So maybe that's kind of the angle we ought to take today with customer service is that we've talked a lot. I think last time we even talked about general trends that we expect to see happen in 2013 in the world of customer service. Maybe let's focus a little bit more on the individual. Let's say okay. you're an actual somebody working at a company or an organization, nonprofit, doesn't matter, any, anywhere where you're serving people. And it's kind of, a, kind of a good time here at the first of the year to see, hey, I want to do a reassessment of how I am as providing customer service and kind of helping the organization meet those goals for service. So I thought it might be a good chance to say, are there some ways for employees to do a little bit of that self-assessment on their, on their own and figure out what are some things they can try to work on? What is that something you see a lot of people try to do, especially maybe with a new year starting? Yeah, definitely something that they should do. I, I, I know that it's one of those uh, difficult things to ask somebody, uh, evaluate yourself, you know, try to figure out how you can be better. You know, so many people who think they're already good and, and uh, you know, they, they are already great at customer service or they're as efficient as they could be, but there, there's actually a series of questions we often ask our clients or individual employees at those clients to ask themselves that help to evaluate themselves to figure out, you know, are there opportunities for improvement? And and improvement doesn't necessarily mean uh, having that focus doesn't mean you're bad at customer service. I mean, let, let me give you a quick story. Um, okay. uh, I used to report uh, to the COO at a, at a hospital system. I was an internal management consultant, so I was actually a consultant but, uh, you know, I was on site basically five days a week, and, and the hospital changed COOs. So I went in to introduce myself to the new COO, and I described what we typically did. And I said, in a perfect world, you know, we're management consultants. What should happen is we get this organization running so well, de- delivering such great service, high quality, efficiently, et cetera, that in two years you, you really shouldn't have the need for me anymore. Hmm. And it was kind of uh, an interesting take that my COO had on it. He said, well, well, Ed, I appreciate what you're saying. You know, in, in theory, you know, if everything's working so great around here in two years, we might not need your help. But, but keep in mind, two years from now, our patients are going to be different. Oh, How right. we get reimbursed sure. is mm-hmm. going to be different. Our technology is going to be different. Some of the policies and state and federal regulations are going to be different. And so even though the... The organization may be in some ways, if everything was static, could in theory be much, much better, be perfect in two years. The reality is there are so many things external that impact us that change that even if we continuously make improvements, we're always going to find there's there's new opportunities for us to get better and better and better. And I guess that's why a lot of times, too, we, we, we always say that, you know, customer service and, and getting stronger as an organization and, and improving those things shouldn't be a start and stop project. It's not like, like you said, well, let's just 
we're going to work on getting better. And now that we're better, we're going to stop getting better. Because you're right, the world around us is constantly changing. You even talked about some of those trends in customer service last month, you know, a company that was uh, equipping themselves for customer service five years ago, are not equipped for customer service this year. Exactly. So it's a constant mode of improvement. I see what you're saying there. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, that, and that's the idea of continuous improvement. It's not saying anybody, any individual employee wants to improve is necessarily bad right now. It's just they want to go from being good to great, or they're great already, and maybe they just want to make sure in a year, and two years, and five years, they still have the skill and the principles and the techniques and the focus and the time to, to still be great at customer service. So okay. what, we're, what we're going to end up doing is uh, actually looking at uh, a series of questions. I'll break them up into four different categories of questions, and these are questions that the folks who are listening to this podcast, individual employees can just ask themselves, and whenever they come up with an answer that they can relate to for this particular question, that might be an opportunity for improvement. So these okay. questions are going to uncover opportunities individuals have for improvement. And I'll go ahead and give you the four categories. The first category of questions I'll ask are trying to identify time wasters. Okay. You know, what, what is really wasting your time as an employee? The second is those things that basically are customer relationship killers. They might waste your time, but they can also negatively impact your relationship and retention of customers. The third is those coworker impactors, you know, those things that not only impact you, but they could impact your coworker. And the, the last one is those money wasters. So we're going to ask questions among these four categories. I'll tell a story here and there. I'll ask you these uh, questions as well, Alan, and uh, we'll see if people can identify opportunities to save themselves time or money or improve customer or coworker relationships. So, so, th so this is basically like a self-assessment set of questions that you need to be asking yourself these kind of questions and finding out how you feel like you are there some things in your life that fit in these categories or are going to give you the answer you don't need off any of these questions? We're going to give you a dozen questions. You may come up with one or two, or you come up, might come up with 10 or 12 different opportunities for improvement based on uh, what, what your work life is like and how it relates to these questions. Okay, wonderful. Great. Well, let's jump right in then. Uh, why don't you hit me with the first set of questions there? Okay, the first set are the time wasters. And uh, the first question is, where do activities occur day to day which offer no value to the customer. And I'm going to give you a real quick example. Uh, I was talking about that hospital I used to work at. And we had created these reports called excellence reports where there was one key metric that every department, every nursing unit would use in the entire hospital to gauge their overall performance. And they had a certain target that they had to hit. And this was created and the managers were really focused on it and the administration was really trying to drive people to hit these excellence targets on these reports. But, but after several months, six, eight months of generating these reports, all of a sudden, instead of managers asking for additional information on their metrics and for consulting advice, we weren't hearing anything. We weren't hearing anything for a month and two months after we sent off the report. So I went to my boss and, and I explained the situation. I said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, turn them off. And I said, well, what do you mean turn them off? He just said, just stop sending the reports and see if anybody gripes and complains and raises a fuss. Yeah. So literally, we stopped sending the reports for a month, crickets. <laughs> Second month, crickets. We didn't hear a thing. And all of a sudden, we realized that sometimes we, we start a report, we start an initiative, we start a meeting, we start a group with the greatest purpose in mind, and maybe it does have a great purpose, a great goal. But over time, it kind of loses its value. And we just can't keep doing the same things over and over again and assume that they still have value to our customers. So we need to think about a report that we've always done, a task we've always done, a communication we've always sent out, some meeting we've always attended, maybe even an email distribution list that we're on and start questioning, do we still need to be involved with these things if they're really not adding value anymore to the customer? Got it. Okay. So really evaluating to see, are there some things that we've just gotten in the habit of doing, but yet aren't really adding any value to what, what we're providing our clients? So, exactly. Got it. So that's the first thing. The, the second question to ask is, where are there manual activities that, that could be eliminated or maybe are redundant or, or could be automated? I, I actually, right out of college, spent a couple of years uh, as a, an IT, you could say, management consultant for what is now Accenture. Okay. And we 
hospitals and, and different other types of businesses, and we would help to design and implement uh, technology solutions. And one solution we implemented was for a hospital system in eastern North Carolina, and it was a materials management system. So they were going from a purely manual process for dealing with purchase orders and requests and, and handling all that on paper to actually going to an automated system. Okay. Well, the very first day of implementation, it seemed like it was going well. I was walking around to the different purchasing agents to see how things were going, and there was this one lady who I had worked with on the design part of the project, and she had this stack of papers, and right next to it, she had the computer with the materials management system up, and, and I said, Sarah, um, you know, what, what are all those papers there? And she said, oh, those are all the purchase orders and the requests, and, and I'm, I'm writing all the information on them, and then I'm keying them all into the system. And I said, well, why are you still writing all the information on the hard copy? Uh, the idea of the system is that the system is supposed to do that in an automated fashion. She said, oh, I'm just real comfortable working with the paper. Mm -hmm. So this was a situation where we had the opportunity to use a computer system, and yet there was still a manual process involved. And a lot of times we got to just question papers in this day and age that we're still touching multiple times or, or things where we're writing down information on paper and then keying them into the system. And where are we doing that? Uh, where maybe we ought to question, do we need to still keep doing these manual processes, doing these duplicate activities. Yeah, I, I'm actually part of a couple of groups in the area and, and a couple of nonprofits that I volunteer at. And I know there's some people that have their own set way they like to do things. And yes. when you actually look at it from an outsider coming in, you see, wow, that's a extremely inefficient way of doing it. And, you know, sometimes if it's just a time issue, that's one thing. But if it's actually slowing down a process to where you can't deliver the kind of service you need or the responsiveness you need to be doing, you got to figure out how to streamline those things. And unfortunately, there's a lot of those floating around. I'm sure. Sam. Right. And all these 12 questions we'll, we'll talk about really have one common thread is that that is that they waste your time, you yeah. as an employee. And anything we can do to, to make ourselves more efficient and not waste our own time should free up more time for us to improve the quality of what we do, improve our communications, improve our customer relationships. Perfect. Great. All right. What's another question we can be asking ourselves here? Uh, another time waster question is this. When are files retained unnecessarily or for too long? So think about situations where you're going through that file cabinet and you're looking for a certain folder and you just happen to bypass something from 1982 or uh, from, from early 2000s or that Y2K folder that's probably four inches thick. Uh, you know, having to, to go through very old files, whether it's on your computer or hard copy files to find what you need uh, is an example of something that could really be wasting your time. If you had the most recent, the most useful, the most necessary items close together, then maybe you might save yourself some time. So uh, think about your record retention policy. Think about how often you literally take an hour and purge some of your files. If you can get in the habit of doing those things, maybe you wouldn't waste so much time when you do need to find something. And that's something I, I used to be very guilty of doing that years ago. But now I've, I think people here in the office know I'm minimizing paper everywhere I can. If we don't need the files any longer than they need to be, just get rid of them. Because to me, paper, paper is also a stressor. It actually adds more stress. Stress, I think, to some people's work life when they see piles of paper stacked up and folders all over the place. You know, if you don't need them and there's a better way of organizing them or stuff you haven't touched in years, get it out of the way and kind of clear your, your space and your desk a little bit too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I'm just looking right now at about seven uh, boxes full of papers <laughs> that uh, when I moved offices a year ago today, uh, yeah, I basically stuck them in the corner because I knew they were old and I probably wouldn't look at them and I haven't actually actually pulled anything out of them in a year. So at least I've gotten some of those older hard copy folders to the side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I still walk around the office here and see a few boxes and file cabinets that I wish I could just take a day and go through and purge. But absolutely, I think it does slow our process down when we have to wade through so many of those things. And the last pure time waster question deals with over movement. Okay. okay. Think about this interesting question. Is there excessive walking or other movement required to accomplish a task? So how often are you walking to the copier? How often are you walking to the storeroom? How often are you are you having to walk halfway across the building or up three floors to talk to a coworker or, mm. or walking down the street to talk to a vendor? I mean, I know this is all good exercise uh, to do all this walking, but in reality, if you're having to do a lot of physical movement traveling just to talk to somebody to answer a question, then we really need to question uh, is that the best way, the best use of our time? Yeah, we uh, we actually have a, a kind of a 
centralized copier printer area. And uh, that's something we've had to tackle as well is realizing that, you know, sometimes there's sometimes there's, you know, probably several minutes. And I know it sounds kind of minuscule when you say it that way, but sometimes there's minutes in a day where it's just back and forth walking back and forth where maybe just putting or changing the placement of the printer or setting up a second printer station. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I mean, I, I guess what you're kind of getting at with these questions on the time waster is that, yes, these may just be some minutes here, some minutes there. But when you start to gather all this together, you could be talking hours and hours a year that that's hours and hours that could be put towards better customer service, towards better profitability, towards all these other factors or any company is looking to do. Right. And that's exactly right. The idea of these first four questions, these time wasters is how can we make ourselves, uh, our day-to-day lives such that we are focusing on the things that are most important. And if I had to, instead of just bending down and pulling paper off the, the printer, if I had to walk that, that 80 or 90 feet to the copier every time I needed to print something off, it would just drive me crazy throughout the course of the day. And it would yeah. be a waste of time. It would be frustration. And it's just not something that would enable me to do what I need to do as quickly and responsively as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So a lot of, a lot of questions we can be asking ourselves about how we're using our time during the day and realizing that there is an impact to the company, to our clients and customers uh, by, by trying to find ways to save that time. Exactly. Okay. Now, the second group still deals with time, but we're getting into the customers a little bit more. We're getting into those customer relationship killers. And, okay. and th- these are three different questions that you could ask yourself that, that can really help your relationships with your customers and right. address them. Um, the first one says, do, do customers frequently ask routine questions on how to locate a department or your office or how to perform a task? I mean, th- think about those situations where uh, you're, you're constantly being asked for directions. Mm-hmm. You're constantly being asked, well, how do I do A, B, and C? How do I access this particular report? How do I find A, B, and C on your website? You know, what, what do you what exactly do you all do? You know, what are your services? What are your hours of operation? You know, think about all these frequently asked questions from customers. And if you're spending a lot of time just answering the basics, we need to stop and say, why are we spending so much time on those basics? Is there a more efficient way to do that? Because it's not only something that could be wasted our time, but if you have customers who can't find the basic information on their own, they could be getting so frustrated and trying to look for it, maybe even just look for the phone number of your business that they go elsewhere. They go yeah. to a competitor. Well, Ed, that even goes right back to what we were talking about last month right. with this need for timely information that customers are wanting more quick access to the information. You're exactly right. If somebody's got to look more than sometimes even a few seconds somewhere on a website or instructions somewhere and they can't find them quickly, mm-hmm. uh, I know for me personally, that's a huge, uh, just I'm automatically going to be tempted to look elsewhere. Uh, even if this company's got a great reputation and has got exactly the kind of services I want, if I've got to go through extra hurdles to find things that should be at my fingertips very easy, uh, that, that's going to deter me a lot, a lot of times. So I absolutely agree with that. That's a huge one right there. Yeah, there's a lot of companies where we do web mystery shops and we'll go to a certain business's website and we'll mystery shop it for ease of navigation or finding information. And sometimes the way we'll set up the mystery shops is we'll send one shopper in to go to the website and try to find the information. Then we'll send another shopper to just go to Google to find the same information (laughs) on that company. And oftentimes the the shopper who goes to Google finds the information a lot faster than the shopper who goes to the actual site. Now, wow. the risk of that is there are so many uh, people, individuals who do that as well. They're not just going to go to the company website. They're going to say, I want to look at company A, B, and C. They'll Google it. They'll Google the product. And the problem is Google brings up everything that relates to that product, everything that relates to that service, including your competitors. Yep. So you want to make sure that your site is so easy to navigate, so easy to find things that the customer doesn't have that urge to have to go to Google or other search means. Very, very good point. I like that a lot. That's, that's a very interesting point. Yeah. yeah. What's another question there? Uh, when are items too often repaired? I mean, you can think about when do you send reports and the customer says, you know, this really isn't right, or your internal QA folks say, well, you know, the, we need to change the report because the data got mismatched a little bit, or, or when are you sending items and they constantly get returned and you're having to deal with returns? I mean, we shouldn't assume that we're always going to have X number of returns. We're always going to have to redo certain reports and reprint them and spend time on the data. If we're getting the same types of issues happening over and over and over again, that's wasting your time. It's creating frustration for your customer because then they start questioning the quality of what you do. It's wasting their time as well and trying to 
assimilate to the the revised information you're sending them or or having to work with a new product since the last one they had to return was broken. So it's wasting your time. It's really wasting the customer's time and patience. And it's one of those customer relationship killers. It's like going into a, uh, uh, to get something serviced. I'm thinking about a vacuum cleaner that I had and uh, took it in to go get a part fixed. And the guy behind the counter tells me, he says, yeah, with these models, we, we typically have to end up fixing these a lot. So it's that idea that, okay, so this is a part that you find yourself having to fix a lot, that kind of, to me, leads to a bigger issue, which is if that's something you know you're having to fix a lot, it's a real shame when your repairmen are basically knowing, oh yeah, well, we got to fix that again. That always happens. In other words, fix it at the front end so it doesn't become a repetitive issue in the end. So Exactly. We all want to be the Maytag repairman where he's just kind of hanging out because there's no returns, there's no issues, but a lot of organizations aren't set up like that. They just don't think that way, where you have the people on the back end, customer service or, or repairs, talking to the people on the front end who are developing and producing the product. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. The third question is, deals with waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, think about where is their idle time where, where you or your coworkers are spent waiting for people or technology or supplies or equipment in order to get your job done. I mean, you're having to wait on your coworker uh, to get their report done or get you the information so you can finalize a project. Or you're waiting for that vendor to deliver the new tablets or the new PCs or else you can't get what you need done. Or you're waiting for that other vendor or that coworker to provide the supplies so you can produce the product. And whenever you find yourself having to wait on others. That's a symptom of a problem. That's something that's wasting your time. It could be delaying a product delivery to a customer, causing a lot of stress for you, stress for your customers, and really pinching those timelines, those deadlines that you have on projects. It, that could also apply to, uh, you know, getting a little more on the technical side, but computers, when they have to run processes or, and I think about our world of, uh, part of our company does video production work. And as Chris, our our editor at the booth here can tell you, sometimes when you have to render or export movies that you're working on or videos, that can tie up your entire computer for hours on end. Oh, wow. So the key is, is that basically you find yourself sitting there with a computer that you really can't use for anything else for several hours sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that was something we tried to tackle to say, well, can we offload that to another computer that's just sitting in the back of the room? So our main computer still freed up. The other computer does all the heavy lifting and takes all the blunt off and it's saves us several hours every time we have to do this. It's thinking through those kind of ideas about, like you're saying, with time, you know, where are we finding ourselves waiting for things that's keeping us from moving on to other uh, other other things we need to be doing? Yeah, and I'm not an expert in what you and Chris are, are talking about there, but uh, I would assume if you're tying up a computer for several hours, then you want to make sure that whatever comes out on the back end is done right the first time. Yeah. Yeah, so it really puts a premium on high-quality quality checks on the, on the front end so that you're not having to redo that process type another computer to tweak some things that weren't done right the first time for whatever reason. That's right. And now by having a second computer that can allow us to do that, that kind of exporting and rendering, you know, we can let it go overnight and not tie up our primary computer that we may take home with us, our laptops or whatever. So there again, it's a huge time saver thinking in terms of that. You start to add up the number of hours each month that we were basically having to sit and go find something else to do off our computer while the computer's tied up. And we're basically just kind of killing time waiting because unfortunately, almost all of our work's on the computer. So um, that's that's a huge thing, and I, I'm completely with you. I think we need to be very critical about those processes and those waiting periods we've got within our office environment because that is ultimately affecting our clients, our profitability, everything else with the company. Right. right. So, so these are the first two categories. These are the first seven of the 12 questions. And again, what we're trying to do is to help the individual employee, and in some cases, like you're talking about the organization as well, to just sit back and ask themselves these questions. And whenever they can find an instance or an example of where these questions really relate to them personally. You know, there is that uh, directional question I get all the time. There are excessive repairs or returns. We are spending a lot of time waiting. Those are opportunities to continuously improve. Great. Well, let's take a quick break then if we finished up the customer relationship killer questions. and take a quick break and when we come back, we'll tackle the other two uh, topics of questions. Again, we're kind of going through a self-assessment on are you developing a continuous improvement mindset? Are you looking at your own life, your work habits, the surroundings around you and, and trying to find ways to make sure that you're always in that continuous improvement mode with the ultimate goal of helping serve our clients and customers and helping our businesses succeed more. We'll be right back with Stepping Up Service in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by The Jackson Group, a consulting and survey services firm working with organizations for over 35 years. The Jackson Group helps clients gauge, understand, and help improve employee and customer satisfaction 
as well as market perception and community awareness using a wide variety of survey methodologies. For more information about the Jackson Group, please visit their website at www.thejacksongroup.com. Hello and welcome back to Stepping Up Service, the customer service podcast talk show here on The Mesh. I'm here with Ed Gagnon of Customer Service Solutions. And Ed is going through uh, a set of questions, kind of a self-assessment of what we can do as employees or people involved with companies or organizations to really determine, are we adapting a true continuous improvement mindset? Are we looking at the world around us from a work standpoint and our, our time management and everything else involved, working to constantly improve that level of service that we can ultimately provide our coworkers, our clients, our customers, whatever it may be. So Ed, we went through time wasters and customer relationship killers, talked through some of the questions that we ought to be asking ourselves in those categories. What was the next category of questions and, and where do we need to be going there? Yeah, the next category is those coworker impactors. And we, we got to keep in mind here that uh, the way CSS, our company, defines a customer is basically somebody who relies on you to get their need met, to get their issue resolved, to get their job done. And coworkers rely on us. So we're going to talk about some different questions that, that you can ask yourself, which again might address some time wasters for you, but they might also impact your coworkers. Okay, great. The, the, the first one deals with hard to locate information. So the question is, in what cases is it difficult to quickly find and relay information to the person requesting the information? Okay. So think about your, your coworker needs some data from you. They need a report. They need some information on a customer. They need an old form that was filled out a couple months ago. They, they need you to find some emails that have some information forwarded on to them. So in what cases is it tough to find that email? Is it tough to find that data? Is it tough to find that hard copy document? And wherever it's tough to find, that typically means you're spending a lot of time looking for it. And that's wasting your time, but it's also impacting the coworker because it's delaying your ability to get them the information they need to do their job. Okay. So basically, if you're finding something that's taking up a lot of time to find or get answers to, you know, it's going to have that ripple effect on your coworkers and that's going to create a, just a whole mess of time and some communication wasted, I would assume exactly. as well. The whole email chain sometime of writing your coworker, say, hey, do you know where this is? They write you back. No, you might want to try looking here. Then you write back and say, well, I tried that already. Now, can you recommend another spot? Back and forth, you start to figure out how much time and energy is being wasted on that, that process. Um, Absolutely, I can see that. Yeah, and that's actually a really good segue into our next topic, which is over-communication. Over-communication. So, uh, there yeah, we go. May, okay. May, maybe you're looking at my notes, Alan. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, you have a little bit of Carnac going on there. There so you that's go. Great. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so this is the next question. Again, uh, time-wasting, coworker-related. It says, when is more than one employee communicated with in order to complete a transaction? Yes. So it's not just a matter of uh, you handling it with the customer, but you're having to talk to one or two or three or four folks or send those emails to multiple people. I mean, how many times do you send an email out or do you receive an email where there's a dozen people copied on it? And maybe yes. it's only a two-minute email to read, but if there's a dozen people, that's 24 minutes spent looking at that email and maybe processing that email. So you're, we're wasting our coworkers' time if we're communicating with too many people uh, in order to complete a transaction or get a need met or get some information conveyed rather than just uh, communicating with those key folks. You know, Ed, actually, I think the last two questions in particular kind of tapped into a, a topic that maybe is something we discuss in a future episode and go into a little more depth on. But to me, this idea of simplifying or making more effective communications within a workplace, to me, has that big ripple effect on the whole company operations. And that's a big thing for me as well. I, I, I know I had a, a, a somebody, a, a, another company we worked with on some projects, and this individual had a, a really uh, uh, had a reputation for every time they had a question, they would copy every everybody involved in the project from all levels. And it was never a question that was directed to an individual person. It was always a, what should we do about this? Where really there was only one person who needed to be answering that. But because 18 people got copied in, all of a sudden we now have an email chain of 18 uh. people all bouncing around different options and ideas and answers to this. And it took honestly days sometimes for that email chain to get kind of whittled down to that one core answer that that person needed. Mm -hmm. And to me, the biggest thing is just, you know, you direct a question, you direct it to one person. 
person and you only copy in other people that absolutely need to be a praise of that dialogue. But it's clear in the email, I'm talking to Jim. Jim is the person I'm talking to. The rest of you are copied in just to have as a reference. But exactly. I don't I don't need you guys to go through this with a fine tooth comb and answer it directly. It's all about how we preface that kind of communication request and information. I could spend probably an hour uh, us talking about ways that people can help make those more efficient. So that may be a good idea for a future show. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. And, and some of what you're talking about there is just how do you effectively uh, construct emails, write emails? You know, yeah. we've actually been asked by many organizations to do uh, email business writing training as a part of other training that we do because people just don't get taught, I guess, business writing skills uh, they, they think sending the email is like sending the text or the instant message and, and you copy everybody and you put everybody in the two box. It's just uh, an area where there's a lot of inefficiencies because people just never learn how to do it appropriately. I bet if somebody really took a good critical look at their inbox on a given week or month and really evaluated how many of those emails were truly things that they should have been receiving versus things that they didn't really need to have and were just slowing them down and taking up a lot of time, I bet you people would be pretty shocked at that percentage. Uh, yes. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Right, and I know we're getting real tactical into the weeds a little bit, but that's the idea here is that for us to continuously improve as individual employees, we need to look at those details that could be time wasters that we kind of take for granted. For, you yeah. know, for example, the, the third coworker related question is, when are calls received for another department? Mm, ah, good point. Very simple, but it's one of those things where if, if you've ever picked up the phone and the first thing you hear from a customer is, you know, please don't transfer me again. I've already been <laughs> transferred three times. Yeah. You know, that 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 is wasting a lot of people's time. That's creating a lot of customer frustration. Uh, oftentimes, you're not really setting your coworker up because if, if I'm answering the phone from uh, a customer that's been transferred to me by uh, a coworker, then that coworker didn't help me out at all. Because now they're transferring somebody who's frustrated to me. They haven't made sure that I know what the topic is. So I can help this person, and that customer is probably making the same initial statement for the fourth time. Yeah. So it can frustrate your employees. It can frustrate the customers. Uh, we really need to look at those situations where we're constantly getting calls transferred incorrectly or multiple times and figure out the root cause of that problem so we can save ourselves time, hassle, and bad feelings. And you know, that's of all the things we've talked about, that's probably one of the simplest things to fix once you know where the issues are. So that's the thing is that asking yourself these questions and identifying these spots, a lot of these things we're talking about, especially this one, are typically some very, very quick, easy fixes. So you can really find yourself saving your coworkers and yourself a lot of hassle with some very, very minor fixes once you've identified them. Yep, that's a great point. So we've talked about the time wasters from the just general time perspective, from the customer perspective, from the coworker perspective. Uh, now our fourth category, we just have two questions, but we're going to talk about it from the financial perspective. Okay. All right. All about the money. So what do we got? All about the money. And the, the first question is more front end. When you think about delivering a service, the, the second question is more back end. But the first question deals with what you might call inventory waste. Okay. Now, where are there supplies that are required for, for use for some product or service or project, but they're left over after that task or after that project? Project, uh, is completed. I mean, maybe you're looking at a bunch of papers or a bunch of CDs or some toner or some equipment or some discs. I mean, what 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 are those things that you always find? We, we bought all this in order to accomplish a project or a task, and it seems like we have all this uh, left at the end. And that's an example of just wasting money. We, we didn't maybe plan or forecast it well enough to really know what our needs were. And those are that upfront materials management time required to get the, the materials in, to manage the materials and the back end, what to do with it. There's a lot of time wasted involved there as well. And, you know, somebody may be listening to, to that question, Ed, and saying, okay, well, I understand from a company financial standpoint why we need to try to minimize additional extra supplies and things that we don't use and all that. But how would you uh, describe to them the ultimate impact that this has on customer service? Sure. If you're sitting uh, in, in your office and you're thinking about, well, you know, I have uh, the, these calls coming in from the customers. I have these things I need to do. But, oh, by the way, I also have three boxes uh, of paper, two boxes of discs. And, you know, I have all this technology sitting there that went unused. And I'm going to have to end up spending three or four hours to either send that back to the vendor to find somebody in the company mm-hmm. to deal with that. So you're having to, at that point, ask yourself, well, uh, do I follow up with these customers or do I have to take three or four hours out of my day or out of my week to deal with these things? 
things. That's the common thread through all these. When you have those kind of responsibilities that that take time away from what your core focus should be, which is addressing your customers, meeting their needs, and helping them get their issues resolved. Got it. Okay, great. What's the next question on that category? Yeah, and this is the last question overall. This deals with overproduction. So it's not just the supplies coming in, but it's what we produce. Where are there products that are left over after a project's done? You know, you, you talk about some of the work you do with Jackson Group Interactive, and you create these CDs, potentially, or DVDs, and, and may have done that in the past. And, and where are there extra hard copy reports that, that nobody's using because we overproduce? Where are there extra discs? Or we produce a certain product or service, or we've ordered a certain number, and now they're left over, and, and we, we don't have uh, the need for them. Well, the question is, could that money have been spent on things that deal with customer service training or process improvement or, or little gift cards or thank you notes to the customer? So there's that kind of customer benefit we could use for that money, but also, again, it's the time required to deal with those leftovers. That could be time spent focusing on those things that are most important. Yeah. So really, from the money standpoint, I mean, it's looking at being a more efficient organization. And with the money side of things, obviously, I think you hit on a great point at the end there is that this is money that if we're not spending on overproducing things we don't need or having stocked up uh, too many supplies than we need or other things laying around the office, that's money that could have been redirected. Hopefully, the organization's proactive enough to want to be pushing that type of extra money towards customer service efforts, client relationship efforts, uh, strengthening your products or services, something that's Mm going to grow you as a company as opposed to just either building up overproduction or oversupplies or other things that really don't help you get move forward as a company whatsoever. Right. That, that's exactly right. I mean, you can go to a company and, and they can say, you know, we really don't have money to do customer service training or to, to get this system to manage our, our customer intelligence. And then they have the storeroom with marketing materials with banners yeah. that cost tens of thousands of dollars. And they were maybe used once, if at all. And there's yeah. all this marketing paraphernalia, which they can't use anymore because they've changed addresses and all the letterhead <laughs> and envelopes are sure. uh, don't really apply. And so there's a little... A bit of a conflict there between what they should be doing with their money and maybe some of the uses that that weren't as efficient as they could have been because they didn't do the effective planning up front. They they didn't really efficiently manage those resources. How great would it be to see an organization where they're able to go through and take a look at their spending on some of these expenses that really don't don't make sense, like you were just describing, and actually at reallocating some of that into a budget and say, you know what, this is money that we're going to spend throughout the year on client relationships and doing those kind of things because as you and I. I've talked over all these months, that's really where we see companies succeed is when they can really target that client relationship improvement and put some time and energy to it. So it's kind of a good challenge for companies out there is are there some things you can do in your own budget, trimming some of this this excess and things that aren't really needed, reallocating that money. It's not necessarily going to save you money as a company, but you just reallocate it to those client relationship efforts. And in the end, we all, I think you and I both are very strong advocates in believing that's going to eventually really grow your company and improve it more than anything else. Right. And there's been studies by uh, different organizations and a Harvard Business Review came out with studies that looked at increasing revenue with existing clients and how the, the increase in profit was multiple times uh, the, the percentage increase in revenue. And it's just because if you can keep more of your customer base, if you can grow business more with your existing client base, then it typically costs you much less to, on the sales and marketing end to, to bring that additional revenue in. And it just makes you much, much, much more profitable as an organization. So uh, the, these last two, they're a little bit more financial related. They're still time waster related. But it just goes to show that all these individual incremental improvements on a continuous basis that individual employees can make can have a financial impact on the organization as well. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so as an employee or somebody associated with an organization in any way, this is a great set of questions, these 12 questions. You really just kind of look at your life, look at your work life around you and, and, and kind of be very critical about evaluating these things. I mean, even you just reading off some of these questions, I'm already kind of making notes to myself of some things in my own work life that I can already see. Well, yeah, that's a time waster. That's a money waster. That's something that could be affecting our clients. And many of them, like I said before, are very, very simple to fix. You know, maybe just changing one extra little process, adding, removing one step or adding one step or giving clear instructions on something. A lot of little simple things to be done one time can make a huge effect on your operations going forward. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and just to kind of throw out four quick ways to kind of summarize this for the employee. These are okay. four statements that an employee, if they're really continuous improvement oriented, should be able to agree with strongly. They, okay, they could say, uh, I am constantly looking for ways to improve how the work is done. If so, you know, you're continuously improvement oriented. I've improved my own efficiency or the efficiency of my area with some changes that I've implemented in the past three months. You want to be able to say yes to that. Now, I look for things to stop doing as much as I look for ways to do things better. Hmm. So somebody who's continuous improvement oriented is not just saying, how can I do things better? What are some things I used to do in the past that I basically could stop doing and it wouldn't negatively impact the customer? And then finally, I've improved customer service or satisfaction in my area with some changes implemented again in the last three months. So if you are continuous improvement oriented, you're looking for ways to do things better, you're trying to stop the things that don't add value, you're trying to be more efficient, and you've actually seen some improvement from, from those changes you've been making. Yeah, oh, that's great. This is really good. And I think, uh, you know, I know we're a month into the new year here, but it's a good time for a little bit of self-assessment. You know, you can do it at any time of the year. It needs to be a continuous process. But uh, I, I do think the more people can step back, ask themselves these questions, and then try to adhere to those statements you just described. Uh, we are in a situation as, as uh, companies across the nation, across the world, we've got to be thinking continuously improving, like you said. And uh, it, it starts with every single employee doing their best to assess their own habits and what they can do and what they see around them. If everybody in an organization starts doing that on a more uh, a routine basis, you're really helping that organization move forward much quicker, easier, and hopefully more successfully. Good. So it's just a great philosophy for an individual employee to have if they truly care about becoming great at customer service. Perfect. Great. Like it so much. Well, Ed, we always try to cap off our episode, or at least most of the time, by giving a little customer service story or example that we've encountered since we last talked. And uh, uh, if it's okay with you, I'll go first, maybe sure. just uh, because it's fresh on my brain. I, I mentioned it to you at the beginning of the show. I just came back from a vacation. And of course, where was that vacation? Uh, but the happiest place on earth down in Florida. Took my family down to Disney World. And right. uh, so this is going to be a very stereotypical, exactly what you would expect me to say going down to Disney. I'm not going to be one of those guys that had that one horrible experience at Disney World. No, mine was pretty much what you would expect. It was um, it's just a reminder to me the level of customer service and what it can do to enhance an experience. Uh, to me, the biggest thing was even the first day getting there. They had set us up with the plan where we could put the luggage tags on our bags at the airport when we arrived in Greensboro. And once we checked those bags in, those bags, we didn't have to see them again until we got to our hotel room, got wow. checked in, and they were inside the room ready for us when we got there. They took it all the way through. That sounds like a minor point. Oh, you don't have to pick up your bags at the airport and load them onto a bus and then take them from a bus to the hotel. But in, in looking back on that, my kids were so excited about when we landed on the airplane. They were so ready to get on the bus to go to Disney and go to our hotel and check it out. Not having to mentally think about those bags, not having to lug those all the way through the resort when we got there. It's a little small action in the grand scheme of things, but it really made a huge impact knowing that we could just walk leisurely to our room, get there, check in, go into our room, and voila, there's our bags waiting for us ready to go. It was a huge thing, and it's something that they don't have to do. Nobody has to do that to make that travel experience right, but it did automatically from day one set us in a, just a perfect mindset of what we expect for the rest of the trip, and it definitely held up to that. So uh, I'm still singing the praises. I mean, they, they know how to do it. They do it right down there. So Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And it's interesting because when people talk about Disney, oftentimes they're talking about the individual employees and the cast members and how they're all animated and happy. But what you're talking about is an example where the organization took a strategic view of their customer. It wasn't just when they're you know in the Magic Kingdom or when they're in the ice cream shop or when they're in one of our stores. It's like, all right, this is somebody who from the time they're considering making a decision about coming here, uh, what are all the different obstacles to, to satisfaction to a great yep. experience and how can we overcome as many of those obstacles as possible so they obviously looked at this strategically through the eyes of the customer and were able to, to do something that might not seem that big but really can have a big impact on the overall experience well and plus the fact too I think this I think you're exactly right I think they looked at the situation and said okay we know that when people show up at our resorts the resorts are, are typically pretty well spread out we well, had a good five to seven minute walk from where the buses let us off to our room because it truly was spread out over a whole resort campus. So I'm sure in the process of thinking about that, they think, wow, these are families that are now having to lug their suitcases all the way across the resort to get to this place. Yes, we could have a little shuttle service and try to find them and hopefully they could catch it and load their bags there. But that's very hit or miss. It's not always going to be consistent. Let's nip this in the bud and handle this from day one so they don't have to worry about it. And mm -hmm. they know that we got set in such a good mindset from that first day. We were already prepared to just have a great time the minute we 
landed because of little things like that. So I'm still very impressed. And I know it becomes very cliche to say Disney's the customer service model, but um, they still they still live it down there. They really do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. And my example is uh, unfortunately not so positive. No, no. Uh, it, it's got some positive, some negative associated with it, but I'll just kind of walk through that for you as well. Okay. Yeah, I had to uh, re-up, for lack of a better term, of my small business uh, certification for, for a city government, and you have to do this every three years. And one of the things that they request is a privilege license. Okay. So I had to go ahead and just give them a copy of my privilege license. Well, I think I'm fairly organized, and I have a privilege license folder, and the most recent privilege license was not there. Hmm. So I'm very frustrated with myself, especially after... After having gone through these 12 different questions. <laughs> I was going to say, which question did you have to negatively answer about yourself exactly. because of uh, not finding that? All right. Very frustrated about that. But, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, I need to go ahead and get a copy of that privilege license, even though I can't find it anywhere uh, around. So I ended up calling up uh, the, the particular county that holds my privilege license. They said, well, just come downtown. Uh, and, I, and I'm pretty familiar with the, the buildings downtown. They said, just come on in. And I said, is it that first floor? check-in area where, where I ended up getting the copy. She said, yes, it's $5. Just come on in. We'll take care of it. So I went there yesterday, and I, and I walked into the building, and uh, I was the first one in line, and there were three available employees, customer service representatives, and one of the employees was looking to his right. He was looking at his computer, and he said, next. And uh, I thought that was kind of odd. And I, uh, he, he came, looked at me, turned around when I went to his window. He said, what can I do for you? not smiling at all the entire conversation I said yes I called yesterday about getting a copy of my privilege license before I could even finish he interrupted me we don't do that here mm. uh, and I said oh I'm sorry I talked to somebody yesterday and they said just come on down you'll handle it. no we don't do that here we do that at the other location on the other side of town and Ouch. I said oh uh, uh, yeah I'm sorry so, so you know you, you gotta go there so it was very abrupt very rude and uh, apparently uh, I was just in the wrong building you know I, I think that other person I talked to on the phone had made a certain assumption uh I made the different assumption in terms of what building I would be in, so I turned sure. around and left uh, and went to the other building. Go into the other building, go to the receptionist. Uh, she says, basically, go to this window in the, this building, and they'll take care of it. So I walked up to the window, and I was the second one in line, and there was nobody else around. And she said, oh, I can see you moved offices a year ago, uh, and so you have to come downtown to get a new privilege license because your physical location changed. And I thought, okay, well, I'm glad I'm here. Nobody ever sent me a communication saying they weren't sending my privilege license because I had moved. But at least there was nobody else in line after me sure. uh, or, or for me at that point. She said, basically what I need to do is have you take this uh, piece of paper, Mr. Gagnon, and go to the zoning window. Well, the zoning window is literally six feet to my left. So I go to the zoning window. Luckily, nobody's there. I explain the situation. Uh, she gives me a form. She talks to her coworker. She fills out something. She gives me a form. She says, uh, now you'll need to go back over to business license, and they'll give you the business license. So I literally walked six feet back to my right, uh, got back in line, got the business license. She gave it to me, and she said, oh, the person over in zoning uh, gave me the pink and white forms, but uh, she should have given me the blue form. So can you take it back over? So she I, made you walk back over to the six feet yes, to the other? Oh. Yes, just so I take the form, I walk it back over six feet again, there's a pretty good line, and by this point I'm just thinking, I, I'm glad I have a mess recording tomorrow. Cause like, <laughs> so I gave them the forms, they gave me the blue form, they apologized for giving me the wrong form, I walked it back over six feet. Oh my so it's these employees who actually have an open door between them and the back, and I, as the only customer that either group was serving, was walking this form back and forth, what was having to go through this process Oh, wow. uh, and thank goodness the lines weren't 10 people long. But well, was, no kidding. Could you imagine if you had actually had to go and get back uh, in the line back and forth after that? Uh, That's just I've been livid. That always upsets me when it's this whole people work in the same building. They are coworkers, but yet they act like they're just complete islands from one another. Mm -hmm. And they can't even think, well, you know what? You don't need to keep going back and forth these windows. Let me just go get what I need from them. Hold right here. It would have been a simple move, but people just don't want to take that extra effort sometimes. Right. And the people were very nice, at least at this facility, not at the other facility. But this was just one of those examples. The overriding thought was 
inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, and you get the person on the phone, very nice, but they didn't confirm what location we were talking mm. about. The person uh, at the first building, very rude, never smiled, uh, no good eye contact, very abrupt. You go to the other building, everybody's nice and pleasant, but you find yourself literally, it's it's like you're in one of those cartoons that they draw about customer service. You're, you're just in the middle of, of one of these these little mini horror stories that's so funny because it, it, it's so much the stereotype that you hear where I'm literally grabbing a form, I'm walking six feet, getting in another line, handing it, bringing it back, realizing they gave me the wrong form, taking it, bringing it back. Uh, and it was just one of those experiences where if they could have just seen it through the customer's eyes, hopefully it would have shocked them to the point that they would have made some changes. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you think about it, go back to our conversation today about all the questions. If those individual employees, and I think this applies to a lot of bureaucracy bureaucratic organizations where you've got so many departments, so many people, so many processes to go through. You know, you could almost imagine if everybody could just stop for a couple of weeks and just go through this self-assessment, pick out these areas where we know things are inefficient and make those adjustments, how much smoother processes would run for everybody, for the client, for the customer, for the employees. But, you know, we get kind of bogged down in the day-to-day operations and sometimes it's hard to step back and really self-evaluate ourselves. So I hope after listening to this podcast, people will find a way to try to do that. And hopefully they're in an organization where they can either affect some of those changes that need to be made or at least bend the ear of the right person to get those changes made. Because we do know it will pay off in the end for an organization if they can make some of those efficiency, time, communication, uh, things smoother. Uh, it is going to help your business, help your help your customers and clients. So. Right. Great customer service isn't just about the smile. I mean, yeah. that helps, but so much of it is about being efficient, responsive, communicating well, and doing it right the first time. Absolutely. Good deal. Well, Ed, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. So we left everybody with a lot of good questions that they can be asking themselves in a self-assessment, some statements they need to be kind of checking themselves against on a regular basis to make sure they feel like they're doing their part to be in a continuous improvement mode for whatever role they're playing in the organization. And then we shared a couple of stories, uh, one good, one a little uh, up and down mixed bag, I guess on that. But um, overall, I hope it was some good information to share with all of our listeners out there. Again, Ed Gagnon is with Customer Service Solutions. You can find him online at CS ssamerica.com. He picks up a lot of blog posts. He has uh, information about his different uh, work that he performs and consulting services he does for a lot of organizations. I'm Alan Jackson with The Jackson Group. You can find out more about us at thejacksongroup.com, all the survey services and management consulting work that we do as well. And you're, of course, listening to The Mesh, which is our online network of podcasts, original podcasts that we produce right here out of North Carolina. Uh, You can learn more about the network at themesh.tv. That's T-H-E. M-E-S-H dot TV. Uh, find out more about The Mesh, hear more about all the different shows that we offer. We have a couple other business-related shows, one on leadership called Leadership GPS, and we've got one that's very specific to the healthcare industry dealing with patient satisfaction, and that's our CAPS cast. We talk about the CAPS process that many hospitals, home health agencies, and other healthcare organizations are having to go through right now to conduct patient satisfaction surveys. So some other good shows. We hope you get a chance to go listen to those. You can go back in time and listen to all the past episodes. They're all available on the website and able to see from there. So with that, Ed, we'll wrap it up until next month. Hope you have a good month, February. And uh, yeah, and we'll talk to you next month. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.